Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. You know, our service is a little different. You may have noticed that in the program. And if you've been here before, we usually have something in between uh, the worship time and the message. And uh, today we're moving the el that element to the end of the service. And so we're going to dive right into the message this morning. I hope you're, you're warmed up, ready to come before the Lord through his word. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the kids and I took a little vacation to Big Bear, and uh, Stephen mentioned Big Bear. You know, we have this find your footing and this hiking theme uh, out here in the, in the foyer. Um, and uh, I think I had mentioned this last week, that we went to Big Bear for a couple days. Um, me, just me and the kids, um, Renee couldn't make it. And most everything about the trip uh, was great. Uh, the, the drive there was easy. The, the hotel was nice. Um, we stayed at a very fancy establishment, Chateau de Best Western. Um, and the surroundings were beautiful, right? The temperature was like mid-70s, all the makings of a perfect vacation. And uh, there's a picture of us by the city limits, Big Bear Lake. Uh, one of the fun things we wanted to do when we were there was go bike riding. And so one morning, the four of us, we found a bike shop, we rented bikes, and we followed a trail around part of the lake. Right? And so, um, again, the kids and on their bikes. But on the way back, on a little downhill stretch of the path, Colson started picking up speed. Our son Colson, he started picking up speed. He started going too fast. He lost control of his bike, and he crashed. And he was, he was way ahead of all of us, right? So, you know, we're all in a line on the path, on the road, and then the path. And he was way ahead of us. So we didn't see it happen. But he must have fallen pretty hard because when we got to him, uh, he was all skinned up. Uh, his chin, his forehead, his elbows, his, his knees. He had chipped his front tooth. And thankfully, he wasn't more seriously hurt. Um, we were able to bandage him up, and we returned the bike. The bike wasn't damaged. Um, part of the helmet had, some of the part had popped off, and they were able to fix it. Um, and, and then I, we drove him to urgent care. Now, I'm still trying to decide when to tell Renee about the accident. <laughs> okay. But here's, here's a picture of the girls. Um, and let's see, if you can go to the next slide. Here's a picture of the girls. <laughs> And they're all fine and happy, and, uh, and Colson, right? right? And so he's got, you know, these bandages, and um, fortunately, he, he's, right, he's fine, and, and he's a good sport. But that's, that's life, isn't it? I think that's life. We so want things to be perfect. Our vacations, our homes, our kids, our lives. That's not realistic. Right? Life is messy. Things happen. Accidents happen. We mess up. We're messy people. But we get this idea stuck in our minds of the way things should be, the way things we want them to be. And when our expectations aren't met, we get disappointed. Or some of us, we get angry or upset. Or we get disillusioned. And it can happen in small ways. Like when you, you, know, you, you want to go to your favorite restaurant, 
right? And you go like, this is a perfect day. I want to go to my favorite restaurant, right, and have a good meal, right? And you find out it's closed, right? Or they don't serve what you, <laughs> what you wanted. They're not serving it anymore. Or it can happen in more important ways, right? Like how we respond when people don't do exactly what we want them to do. They say perfectionism is born of unrealistic expectations. And if you're like me, you may struggle with this, that control and that desire for things to go just right and to be perfect. And we place unrealistic expectations on other people or even yourself, ourselves. You know, in our culture today, Hopefully you can, you can agree with this. We tend to emphasize performance, achievement, goal attainment. Right? We ask our children what their grade was, not what they learned. We ask, our, you know, we ask our children, how did your team do? Did they win? How much did you score? Not did you have fun? We measure our lives in terms of success and achievement, and at times I think we lose perspective on what God really wants for us and what it means to live well. This morning we're going to look a little bit at this, this tension. I say there's a tension, this tension between following Jesus and growing in the Lord and this image we have of perfection or of holiness, right? And so, before we get into God's word, let's, um, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for each person here. Lord, it is a blessing to be together. And as Renee prayed, we ask that you would just open our, our, our hearts and our minds to you this morning. We ask that you would speak to us more than me speaking or, um, or us just thinking of things, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. Open our, heart, our hearts and our minds. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to look at a short passage, Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. God's word reads, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. For the past six weeks, we've been in this series, and our focus has been squarely on Jesus' disciples. 
We've looked at a number of passages about their failings, about their fears, and about their faults. Today, we wrap up our series on imperfect disciples. But I hope it's been encouraging to you, maybe even eye-opening, to see that God doesn't require perfect people to carry out his perfect will. You know, it's been encouraging for me to see the disciples put their foot in their mouths, to say the wrong things, to act in fear, to fall asleep while trying to pray. Right? Not that I enjoy seeing them fail, but it's reassuring to know they're not that much different from us. Because those are the kind of things I would do. Right? I would put my foot in my mouth. I would fear the future. I would fall asleep praying or waiting on Jesus. Right? The Bible is like a mirror. The Bible is like a mirror for us to see ourselves and to locate ourselves in God's unfolding plan. And we see, that's like me, or that is me, or God is speaking to me. We see that God calls the imperfect and he calls the inauspicious to follow him and to do his work here on earth. And in the process, we get a glimpse of the beauty and the wisdom of God. Because only he could bring it all together right, and make it right. This morning, our passage begins with a large crowd around Jesus. Right? They've come to hear him teach. Right? So they're, they're all gathered by the, the lakeside. And with everyone watching after Jesus teaches, it says Jesus strolls by Levi's booth. Now, I don't know why Levi has a booth. Right? I get this picture of a lemonade stand or this guy sitting there like waiting for something to happen or somebody to, to come up to him. Jesus comes up to him and he says, follow me. See, Levi, who is better known to us as Matthew, is what? He's a tax collector. And because he's a tax collector, he is probably the most hated and despised person there. Right? Think on the level of a pimp or a drug dealer or a slumlord. Right? He's probably cheated and extorted money from people. Actually, they're in the crowd. Right? They're like, yeah, that's the guy, that low life. Right? He was imperfect as they come. But out of everybody there, and in plain view, Jesus calls Levi to follow him. See, I think Jesus sets it up this way. I think he stages this. It's as if Jesus says, let's go, right? And purposely picked the worst person he could find. And I think this is something for us to think about as we move along in the message this morning. Because it goes to the core of who God is and the core of who we are. So in front of everyone, Jesus calls Levi to follow him and then he goes to his house for dinner. Right, you notice that? He calls him and then they're, they're suddenly they're, they're eating and they're dining together. And I can picture the crowd sort of moving along with them as they, as they walk 
to his house, right, as Jesus and Levi and the disciples walk to the house. Right? And I'm, I'm sure they're still shocked. The crowd is still shocked that he called such a crook to be his disciple. Then in verse 15, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. You know, I love the picture that many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. Right? It's like an IRS convention. Right? And some scholars consider this a going-away party right, for Levi because he's making a decision to turn his life and to follow Jesus. Right? We're going to have a going-away party this Friday. I remind you again, 6 o'clock. Right? But Stephen and Kylie, are, they're, they're better than Levi. Okay? <laughs> but his friends are there. Levi's friends are there. And they're, you know, they want to see him off. It's interesting to see how the guest list expands, though, from tax collectors to other sinners as well. Do you notice that in the verse? It says, tax collectors and sinners. Who would that have been? We're we're all sinners, right? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But for some people, their sins were more public than others. So I picture at this dinner with Levi and the tax collectors, drunkards, adulterers, prostitutes. People people like that. Now to grasp how significant this is, you have to understand a bit of Jewish culture. To grasp how significant it is that Jesus eats with them. In the culture at that time, sitting down to eat with someone was one of the most relational, one of the most intimate things you could do. It's not like today, you know, when we meet up at Wienerschnitzel. And that was a joke, right? I know nobody meets up at Wienerschnitzel. (laughs) Um, But this was partly, this was partly because of how things were served and eaten at the time. So let me explain. In the culture, for example, if you and I were to share a meal together, we might have had a common bowl of soup and a loaf of bread on the table. And since we didn't have knives and forks, the way it would work is that you would hold out the bread to me, and I would pull off a chunk, and I would hold the bread for you, and you would pull off a piece, and we would both dip the bread together Right, in the community bowl of soup, together. Right? And it stops just short of right, um, us feeding each other, right? mouth to mouth, like, like they do at wedding, <laughs> wedding receptions. Right? It's not that far. But we would both eat from the same loaf of bread and the same bowl of soup. Right? Not very COVID safe either. But you can see the intimacy involved and the connection that we would have with one another. It would symbolize the relationship we shared and the bond between us. So it was a significant statement that Jesus, the Holy One of God, would sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners. 
The Pharisees were appalled by this. Right? If you know the Pharisees, you know, right? They're, they're steaming. They can't, um, they can't understand this. They would never get close to such sinful people. The Pharisees thought of themselves as holy and righteous. And maybe from an outwardly, like an outwardly surface moral perspective, they were. Okay? But not in their hearts. They thought moral perfection was the goal. Right back to this idea of perfection. And so they distanced themselves from others right, who were beneath them, and they developed a critical, judgmental spirit about everything and everybody around them. Beloved, we need to be cautious of that spirit, a spirit that so easily judges and criticizes others when they don't align with the way we think or the way we see things. I think it's a bad spirit, and it's rampant in our world today to call others out of you know, all of these things because I see it different. Right? The Pharisees, they, they saw it different than Jesus. And that's where the Pharisees' question comes from. When they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's not as innocent a question as it sounds. Because they've already condemned the tax collectors and sinners. And now, crazy as it sounds, they're trying to judge the Son of God. Right? In their pride and their arrogance, they put their human rules and rituals before God's love and mercy. Of course, Jesus knew what they were thinking, right? And when he says, so when he, he says in verse 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Right? And this makes perfect sense. This is consistent with who Jesus is. As we watch him call Levi to follow him, and as he has table fellowship, Right, table fellowship with sinners and outcasts. But he didn't just eat with them. Right, if you know the Gospels, if you read the rest of Mark, right, we see that he touched them. He healed them. He forgave them. He invited them into the kingdom of God. And my point is that Levi and his sinner friends, they were not outsiders to Jesus. And though society sees them as outcasts, they were precisely who Jesus came for. Jesus says it himself, right, in verse 17. You see, this is not an example. This passage is not an example of Jesus lowering himself to a group of pariahs, or to a group of needy, sinful people so that the godly people and the righteous people could see this and say, oh, I'm supposed to eat with them too. No. Right? Jesus isn't trying to model a behavior here. He's making a declaration. He's making a statement that this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Right? He came for the sick and the sinner. He says it. The healthy, the righteous, they don't need me, or they don't think they need me. 
Right? These are his people. And the takeaway for us here is not, oh, I should be like Jesus and be more compassionate to them. The takeaway is that we are them. We may not have cheated someone. We may not have prostituted ourselves. We may not have sinned so publicly. But we are as guilty as they are of our sin. And we are in just as much of need of a Savior. Amen? See, the irony is that the religious leaders, the Pharisees who pride themselves on being close to God, they're the ones on the outside. Scripture says there is no one righteous, no one perfect. And that's why he came and he died on the cross. Now, I want to be clear that in having table fellowship with them, Jesus is not condoning their sin. So some of you, like, you know, are pretty astute, and you'll think ahead, and you'll say, wait, you know, Jesus is receiving them, he's accepting them, he's having this bond of relationship with them. He's not condoning their sin. In fact, if they eat with him, if they have fellowship with him, if they sit under his teaching, and they're still intent on cheating others, on lining their pockets and indulging in the world, selling their bodies or ignoring God's word, then they're not a follower of Christ. Right? In the same way, just because we acknowledge that we're imperfect, and we've done this time and again right, in the past six weeks, that doesn't excuse our sin. Please don't think we're excusing sin. We should, never make, we should never mistake God's grace and mercy to us as tolerance for our sin. We are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in us to resist temptation and to repent of our sin and turn to Christ. Right? And that sounds old school. Right? Resist temptation and repent of our sins. But that's what it means to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. But as imperfect disciples, God is not trying to make you and me perfect. Right? Stephen said it in his call to worship. He doesn't expect perfection from us. He's not hammering away at us to make us just right. This was the problem with the Pharisees, browbeating the people with their rules and their rituals. Sometimes this is the mistake I make or we make with our kids. We try to hammer them into shape and not offer that grace and mercy. But our Heavenly Father, He is so much wiser. Amen. Don't you think He already knows what we struggle with and what our weaknesses and our tendencies are? He doesn't have unrealistic expectations of us and then hammer us when we don't meet them. Does that make sense? God is wiser than that. But in his grace and mercy, he says, follow me. You're mine. You're why I came. 
And if you walk with me and continue to surrender your life and yourself to me, I will make you more and more like me. Perfection is not the goal. Christ-likeness is. And that's what Jesus is doing here in the passage with these folks. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We, we are those jars of clay. We're fragile, imperfect people, yet we have the potential for great beauty and change and transformation. God's plan is not to leave you as you are, but to make you more glorious and to make you into the disciple he wants you to be and to conform you to his image. But this is not of ourselves. This is not us trying to exact our lives and be perfect. It's the grace and power of God in us, right, through his Holy Spirit. One simple way I would say to activate this power of God in your life, and many of you do this, right, it is by learning to serve. Simply learning to serve. Jesus himself says when he came um, 2,000 years ago, he came to serve and not be served. Jesus gives us the example of what it is to serve with the heart of God. When we serve others, we're thrown into the mix. That's how I would think of it. When we serve, right, you're thrown into the mix. And again, everything is not perfect. Never is. Right? But we're put into the mix, and it activates our hearts. And we become, we become more like Jesus because we see things like Jesus. And we deal with people like Jesus did. It keeps us, serving keeps us from distancing ourselves and sitting in judgment like the perfect Pharisees. You know, to me, this is the miracle of the gospel. This passage is part of that. This is the miracle of the gospel that a perfect and holy God would invite imperfect and flawed people like us to follow him. Not only to follow him, but to dine with him, to eat with him, to be his disciples. Remember table fellowship and that intimacy and that relationship that Jesus offers to, to us. We are his people. Right? As imperfect as we are, we are invited to the table to share relationship with Christ. And this shows us what kind of God we have. He will reach far and wide to bring the worst and the least to him. Right? Nothing you have done in the past, nothing you will do in the future, nothing you are currently f failing at right now right, can keep you from that love of God, that offer, that extension that he gives, that invitation he gives to you to come 
and to receive him and to fellowship with him. For what does righteousness have in common with sin? Nothing, right? Or what does light have in common with darkness? Again, nothing. Yet God in his wisdom and his love brings the two together. But only by the blood of Jesus. And to me, this passage, this seeing the, the people dine with Jesus, to fellowship with Jesus, right, it foretells of the glorious banquet that all believers will one day enjoy right, in the kingdom of God. And so I say, let's do that. Let's follow Jesus and let's move towards, towards that, that day and that banquet. I'll have the worship team come up and the prayer counselors come forward. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, God, we are so thankful for you. We are thank so thankful, Lord, for what you have done on the cross. And it is only by your sacrifice on the cross for us, Lord, that we can be reconciled to you and to your Father and to your Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Continue to move on us. Continue to speak to us, even as we leave here today, about, Lord, what you want for us and how you want us to be your disciples, as imperfect as we are. And we pray for forgiveness, Lord, because we have a lot that we have done wrong. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would shed your mercy and grace on us. And we ask that you would go with us and be with us and that we would live for you and walk with you as your disciples. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.